All right, well, uh, we are going to be talking, we've been talking over the past three weeks uh, about Advent, and uh, if you're not familiar with that term, uh, it's the season that precedes uh, Christmas, and uh, what the word means is the coming or the arrival, and in our case, uh, we're looking at the arrival of Jesus Christ, what we sung about uh, the incarnation, God uh, becoming flesh uh, in Christ. And we've been in a three-part series uh, looking at this arrival of Christ uh, that we celebrate at Christmas time, and looking at, in particular, three Old Testament uh, offices or roles uh, that we see uh, Christ fulfilling in the New Testament that were present in the Old Testament. And when I use the word offices or roles, and maybe you're not familiar with that term, what I mean by that is that there were three ways in particular that God in the Old Testament chose to lead his people. Three roles. And we've preached over these last couple of weeks. The first role that we talked about, I believe, was the prophet. Is that true? Or did we do priest first? Priest? Prophet, priest, and king. These are the three roles. Uh, so I guess priest was first. Uh, and what a priest did in the Old Testament was someone who would serve to intercede between God and man, uh, offering sacrifices for sin. Uh, we needed someone to kind of be the go-between, the mediator. And so that was the role of a priest. Prophet was someone who listened to God and spoke for God to the people. The people were unable to hear God themselves. They needed someone to do that intercessory work as well and then give the words of God uh, to the people. And then king, which is what we're going to look at today, is someone who would rule over his people. He would offer them protection, direction. Uh, he would be king. Um, and we've talked about these things. The prophet who, uh, he didn't just tell the words of God, that in Christ he became the word. It was the word of God in flesh. Priest was not just someone who came to offer sacrifices on our behalf. He became the sacrifice on our behalf. And so we're going to look at what, what kind of uh, jujitsu did Jesus do on this king role uh, as well? Because we see Jesus fulfilling these roles in a very different way than they were actually acted out in the Old Testament. So, Christ is king. Um, if you've got a Bible, go to Philippians 2. We are going to be meandering uh, a little bit prior to that text, uh, but we're going to land in Philippians 2 because I think this gives us one of the best understandings, at least, of how we can understand Christ as our king. Um, but we need to ask this question. We've been asking this question the whole time. Why do we need a prophet? Why do we need a priest? Why do we need a king? So this was my, uh, my role this week, was to kind of answer that question, to wrestle with that question. And uh, it kind of messed me up a little bit uh, this week. So I will not be, um, this will not be like a sermon where I explain the candy cane to you guys and how neat it is at Christmas time. Uh, this one's going to kind of be maybe a little tough to swallow. Uh, so uh, you can, we can slide into our Christmas coma this afternoon, uh, but we're going to do a little hard work here, heart work that hopefully will prevent you and I from uh, sliding into that Christmas coma. Um, so why do we need a king? First thing is this, what do you think of when you hear the word king? Because we don't have a, a good context for this, uh, I would suggest. What do you think of? Charles. Prince Charles. That is awesome because that's in my notes and that's where I'm headed. 
Of course, yeah. I mean, you know, in America, we probably think of the English royals, which when I think of the English royals, I think of things like, <laughs> good day, sir. What should we do with our kingship? I don't know. It's the life of a king. I guess I will go get in my Range Rover with my hunter boots, and we shall head to my manor in the countryside and go on a pheasant hunt. And then after a day of working our dogs and sporting for game, we shall retreat to the manor for an evening of spiced meats and chutney. <laughs> and then after that, we shall retreat to our quarters, exhausted from a day of leisure. <laughs> I'm so tired from being king. Recreation has worn me out. I mean, it's, it's true, isn't it? Like, that's our view. It's kind of like there are these people who get dressed up, and we take pictures of them, and it's kind of nice that they're around, and it's kind of this novelty. But it's not real, right? Like, they don't really rule. They don't really have any kind of functional, like, authority in the English world. And they're not really all that important to the life of the people. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I wonder what Prince Charles thinks about what I'm going to do today in England. So we kind of have that, or we have this, and I'm not going to do like a Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, I think that's how you say his name. We have this other side of, of kind of monarchies, dictatorships that we see in the world that are oppressive. People are, you know, basically objectified to crazy levels. Um, so we kind of have these kind of two dichotomies, this kind of really negative one, and then this one that's kind of like, oh, isn't that cute? It's kind of neat. We have kings, and they dress up in funny outfits. So, so that's where we got to kind of start. Is Jesus like Prince Charles for you and I? We celebrate his existence a handful of times a year. We like the idea of him, but functionally, my day-to-day life is not really affected by his presence. Well, in the Old Testament, and even beyond that, I'd say throughout the world and the ages, kings had a much more active role than we see played out in the English monarchy. They would conquer. They would lead their armies of a nation. They would build cities. They would provide protection. They would govern their people. Kings were not elected. They were born into that position, succession. And specifically, the nature, and for our our time this morning, the nature of the relationship between a king and his subjects was that the subjects, they they existed to serve and please the king. That's why you were who you were and he who was who he was. My buddy Donnie and I were talking about this. Donnie said, keep his lifestyle going. That's kind of what the subjects existed to do. Keep the king's lifestyle moving. So this is a bit hard for us to understand in our modern democratic society, isn't it? We elect offices such as governor or president, and they represent us. We elect them based on the idea that they will put into action what we believe is best for our lives. They exist to serve our ends, our desires, not vice versa. They exist to keep our lifestyles going. So this idea of needing a king, if we really stop and consider, and this is what I'm inviting you to do this morning, 
the potential implications of needing a king maybe doesn't sound so appealing after all to us, does it? I don't want the dictator King Jesus, kind of the oppressive one. I guess it's kind of like Jesus can be king as long as it's like Prince Charles. He really doesn't have any kind of functional authority in my life, certainly not the authority to tell me what's best for my life. I'm interested in his kingship, if I'm really honest, I'm saying this about me. I'm interested in his kingship as long as it keeps my lifestyle going. Yet, what Matt read a few minutes ago, we see that Christ came as a king. So this invites us to ask a handful of questions, and this is what we're going to do over the next few minutes. What would it mean for you and I today that Christ came as king? Do I see him as king? How would I know if I did? What would it look like if I recognized Christ as king? And kind of lastly, I know those are kind of bunched up questions. If Christ isn't king, then who is? Dylan, Bob, you gonna serve somebody? Go look up the lyrics, I won't read them, I've got a long one. It says this, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Some great other lines in there too, but. So who's king? If Christ isn't, who is? Well, let's look at the last question first, that one. Book of Judges, you don't have to turn there, um, but we're gonna do a little bit of history here and then kind of bring it to Christ. Judges chapter 21, verse 25, this is in the Old Testament, right after Joshua, which we just preached through. Uh, it says, in those days, 2125, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. This is repeated four different times in the book of Judges. Israel had no king, Everyone did as they saw fit. Without a king, everyone does as they see fit. No sense of rule, no sense of right or wrong. This is kind of how it sounds in our culture today. Hey man, whatever's cool for you, just, you know, let me determine that for me. It's proof of hundreds and thousands of years ago of modern pluralistic society. In this scenario, when there is no king, I'm king of my life. Yet what happens under this sort of rule? What happened in Judges was rampant idolatry. They begin to set their worship and their affections and their trust and their hope on other things other than God. What it looks like today is thousands of little monarchs, you and I, thousands of little kings running around trying to get the world and those in it to serve our desires. Because I can't live under the pressure of being king. I think we know this intrinsically. We can only do it for so long we realize "I, I can't do this. I can't bear the weight of kingship. But I don't know what to do, and so I place it on something else. I fasten that onto something else, and I say, okay, I can't be it, you be it. 
People and things exist only to serve my pleasure and my goals for life. It gets this twisted, that much of our service and even giving to others oftentimes is done simply for advancing an image of myself that I want others to have. I'm gonna serve you, do good for you, because I want you to think a certain way about me because that's the goal. <laughs> I wanna feel a certain way about myself, which means that my service to others is still fundamentally serving me. I'm serving myself. We are not unlike Israel. When left without a king, we do as we please. And when we do as we please, we often get ourselves into some very dark and destructive places. We're pursuing things that we believe will give us life. But isn't it true that oftentimes those things, they don't end up delivering on what they promise? I remember as a kid getting excited about presents these things might as well have been kings to me. I'm worshiping the idea of getting this thing. I remember getting this remote control car. Um, you ever notice how on the commercials it does things that it never does when you get it? It's like it didn't, it, did, it went much faster than that on the commercial. Or, or they don't tell you that when you put the batteries, the 8D batteries that cost you roughly half of the cost of the car, uh, that it's, it's gonna last for 14 minutes. And then you're going to have to either replace the batteries or you're going to have to buy those batteries that you recharge. And those take like 17 days to recharge <laughs> to full. So it's like I got this present, but um, I really can use it 14 minutes at a time once a month. <laughs> awesome. So great. It just doesn't deliver. I have this, this idea that if I get this thing, if, and it doesn't do it. So we need a king, someone and something that can deliver. But what type of king? Who gets to decide what type of king you and I need? Once again, in Israel's history, 1 Samuel 8. I encourage you guys, go to these passages and judges. Go to 1 Samuel 8, read this stuff. They say to Samuel, who is a prophet, filling one of the offices in the Old Testament, we want a king. Israel's saying this to Samuel. And here's what they say. We want a king to lead us as all the other nations have to lead us and to go out and to fight our battles before us. Modern translation. We see how this is working out for some of our competitors. Looks good, looks appealing to the eye. We want that. I don't like what I've got. I don't like the king I have. I don't like this setup, prophet thing. We want the king. We know what's best for us. Now we could unravel this all morning. Uh, modern comparison and measurement. All of you have done it countless times just being in here, looking at how you're dressed and how someone else is and all this stuff. We just, it's so ingrained in us to look at what someone else has and say, I want that instead. So here's how the Lord responded to Samuel. He says, listen to all the, the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as king. They have done this since the day I brought them out of Egypt, forsaking me and serving other gods, and now they're doing it to you. And he says this to him. He says, warn them that if they get this king, what he's going to do, the rights that he's going to exercise in his rule over them. And so in 1 Samuel eight ten through 18, 
He basically says, this is what's going to happen. He's going to take your sons, and they're going to work in his army, and some of them are going to die. And he's going to take your ground and your crops, and he's going to give them to his officials. He's going to take your daughters, and he's going to make them work as cooks and perfumers and bakers. And he's going to take the best of your wine and your stuff, your vintage. He's going to take your servants and your cattle and your donkeys, and he will take them for his own use. And in 18, he says, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. The Lord is saying to his people, you already have a king. I am your king. This thing you want, this thing you think you want, this king you think you want, he won't give what you think he will give to you. In fact, there are many realities, many things that will come true if this king is placed over you. Things that you won't desire. Things that you won't want. You think you know what you need, but you don't. This is tough for us. You and I trust our perception of our own life and our own needs as though it's reality. I know what I need for me. Stay out of the way. We have implicit trust in ourselves. It's called pride. Isn't this ironic? The people are telling the prophet, the person who brings God's words, tell God what we need. <laughs> Yet scripture tells us in Matthew 6, don't be anxious about anything. He says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So this is kind of scope reach and understanding that our Father has of our own needs. You ever get something you wanted and found out that it didn't live up to the expectation? What's your remote control car? I'll go beyond the remote control car. I destroyed every dating relationship I had up until my wife as a result of this. I took something temporal, a woman, and I crushed her under the weight of eternal desire. I will worship you. I will make you king of my life. In turn, you make my life awesome. I'll give you my allegiance, but you got to make this sing. Make it great. Reinhold Niebuhr, who is a famous theologian, said this, Human thinking always elevates some finite value or object to be the answer. I take something finite, something temporal, something human, something flawed, and I elevate it. This is going to be the answer. This is going to be the thing. Tim Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Gods, responding to that quote of Niebuhr's, he suggests the reasons why we do this. He says, the root that drives such decisions goes back to the beginning of the world. To our alienation from God and to our frantic efforts to compensate for our feelings of cosmic nakedness and powerlessness. The only way to deal with these things is to heal our relationship with God. Start at the beginning of time, y'all. We're talking about the fall of mankind. This is in our DNA. We have been alienated from God and we are trying to compensate constantly for our 
cosmic nakedness and powerlessness. It's a great way to say it. And the only way to deal with this is to heal our relationship with God. So how do we do that? This is the beauty of the Christmas story. We couldn't. This is the beauty of the gospel, guys. We could not heal our relationship with God. We needed outside help. We needed the right king with the right authority, with the right power, with the right capability, capacity. So no king is not good for us. The wrong king is not good for us, so what now? What type of king is Christ? If you've got Philippians 2 open, let's read this. This is Philippians 2, verse 1 through 11. Um, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. This is Paul writing to the Philippian church. Having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is the type of king, verse six. Listen to this. Don't miss this. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage or something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness <coughs> and being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names. You hear the king? That, an, eh, eh, <laughs> that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is king to the glory of God the Father. A couple of things for us to see. We'll tie it up. Christ is the king who became a servant. Just think about that for a second. Of all the kings we just talked about, of all the ways we view this, Christ is the king who became a servant, who being in the very nature of God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Russ and I were talking about this the other day. You can't have Christmas without Easter and vice versa. Christ changes entirely our understanding of kingship. His rule, his reign is established through his self-sacrificial service, his love, and his substitutionary death for our redemption. If you don't think about anything this season, think about, just take the incarnation. I'd encourage you to meditate on it. God becoming flesh. Consider that Jesus, who was preexistent, existed before the creation of the world. Scripture tells us that for 
and for him and through him, everything in the world was created. He chooses to become a part of the world he created in order to humbly serve that creation and redeem it with his own blood? Seriously? Christ, our King, turns the tables on leadership. He displays in his own life and death the ethics of a new kingdom that he is ushering in. The kingdom that if you're in Christ this morning is now ours. Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to, ser- to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This makes us ask a question. Why did he do this? I mean, he's God, right? Certainly, he could do it another way. Well, I would suggest it's this, and this is kind of where we'll wrap things up with one little point of application. It's because we were under the rule of another king. And it's something we need to consider solemnly this morning. We were in, under the rule of another king and kingdom, and he was the only king who had the power and authority to set us free from it. So Christ's kingship is through service. Here's what his service led to. Christ conquered as king sin and death, and it's reign in our lives. It's rule over you and I.